Part of the reason a building should be exciting when we drive up to it is because we're going to have to put a lot of work into this thing. And uh, for me, when I wake up in the morning, I want to wake up in the morning excited about a building's future. I want to wake up thinking about the cool ways we're adding value and the, the great traction we're getting with tenants and you know the positive impact we're having. I feel like life's too short to work on bad buildings and life's too short to work on buildings that don't motivate you in some way. Uh, and, and ultimately, I think that'll impact your success. If you're working on C-class buildings that might get to C+, uh, that's, that's not good enough. Or yeah. at least I, I don't really enjoy working in that space. Well, I think that re resonates on our um, the why for why we do what we do. We create environments that transform people's lives. Yeah. And we need to feel like we drive up to a property and we're doing something fun and exciting. And coincidentally, doing that fun and exciting work also means that your property is more desirable and it makes yeah. it more leasable. Um, but life is short, like you said, and uh, we, we want to see the impact of the work we're doing. From Griseta Partners, this is Durable Value, an investor's podcast, where hosts Joe Meritori and Ryan Suela demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. So, Joe, when you think of investing discipline, what do you think about? Investing discipline is essential to our business. This is the act of consistently making good decisions. This is the act of going through a process that you believe in and that you've built over time. Uh, it allows you to build something repeatable, scalable, consistent, uh, something you can count on. Yeah, absolutely. What, what's it mean for you? I think it's uh, practicing a muscle and you know, going at it day, out, day in and day out with the same me methodology regardless of uh, what sort of exterior inputs you receive. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a process of being able to factor in your current reality, but also not being overly emotionally drawn by the current circumstances or fads or popularities or whatever, maybe. Do you think we approach it differently? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... I look at it maybe a little bit more like the matrix where it's a, it's a set of numbers and, and we need to be able to parse through those numbers and be able to do it in an agnostic kind of way. Mm -hmm. uh, I love being able to wrestle over our assumptions, our leasing assumptions, our construction costs, that sort of thing, and narrow down to what we feel really comfortable about and then just letting all the numbers fall into place and see if it's a go, a go or a no-go, seeing where it does make sense, where it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And I know my experience with you is uh, you know, very much a, a market-based and, and a physical approach to investing. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I was, uh, we have an intern in our office Kurt, and I was talking to him yesterday uh, while we were in Fairfield looking at a building. And I, I noted that you and I have sort of different approaches. And 
for you, a, an, an offering memorandum can be very insightful in understanding a property, and that's usually where you like to start. Uh, a, a lot of detailed written information on a property. Uh, for, for me, I like to start with an idea. I like to go to the property, usually print the OM, offering memorandum, and bring it with me, but uh, I, I like to touch and, and feel and see the building. When I've seen the office space, when I've seen uh, the workers in the space, how they feel, how they react to the building, it informs how I read the offering memorandum, provides additional color, it helps me spot uh, red flags and problems. And But fundamentally, I start uh, with an idea that comes from the book Essentialism, which is in life, there's enough decisions that in life things should either be a hell yes or a no. And generally, when I drive up to a building, it needs to start with a okay, this is great, we're in the ballpark. Like this feels, and by feel, I mean, you know, a, a career's worth of decisions and a, ideas about how things should be. When I come up to a property, it checks enough boxes that, it, that I know, okay, we're in the ballpark here, let's, let's dig in on this. That's, that's where I start. Mm -hmm. uh, what about you? Um, you? You know, people talk about themes and investing and, and popularities, demographic trends, that sort of thing. And that certainly has to inform how we operate. But I also know that in any given asset class, in any given geography, you can find great investments and you can find lousy investments. Yeah. So I also find it helpful, you know, we invest in office and people say, oh my gosh, COVID, no one's going to be in offices anymore. You know, we invest in retail and people say, oh my gosh, Amazon, no, there, there's no reason for retail to exist. And then on the flip side, you know, people say, oh wow, apartments, industrial, everybody should be investing in those asset types, which we do invest in as well. But it always comes down to the individual asset and understanding that asset, its location, mm -hmm. its dynamics, its functionality, and regardless, we need to be aware of the macro trends uh, and how they will influence the market. But we also need, most importantly, need to zero in on how this particular asset will uh, work within its market, within the broader demographic trends uh, yeah. to make good investment decisions. And that's why every asset class has strengths and weaknesses at certain times. Every geography has strengths and weaknesses at certain times. Yeah, we, we have a specific set of, of uh, needs we solve. We solve construction issues, we solve deferred maintenance issues, we solve marketing and positioning of a building issues, we solve tenant issues, we solve capital issues. Uh, when we approach a building, I start with saying, okay, we've got these arrows in our quiver. Does this building have the problems that we're outstanding at solving? Normally we look for uh, sort of B plus locations, with a building that could be a B plus, but is sort of stuck at B minus for some reason. Normally that has to do with the previous ownership. They, they didn't approach it like a B plus building. They didn't invest in the building. Uh, so I look, as, as we start, uh, as we evaluate buildings, can we get this from a B minus to a B plus? And beyond that, is it possible we could make it an A minus? Can we move it to that next level? And um, so do the skills we possess in our company uh, can they solve the building's problem? And, and can we take it a little bit further than that? And if so, I start to feel like we're in the right ballpark.
but we, we generally lead with quality. We're looking for great buildings, buildings we'd want to have our office in, apartments yeah. where I could see myself living or, I, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I would, I would almost argue, you know, we operate on location. We operate in the A space. We are looking for the, the properties that have fundamentally strong advantages compared to their competitors, but, but the property is in B condition or B minus yeah. condition um, because those are the kind of problems we can solve. Where we're having the video today is a prominent three-story building very centrally located within a sub-market, and yet it was two-thirds occupied. We're sitting in a room with wood trim from, paneling. from the <laughs> 1970s uh, that is soon to be demolished, and you know, it's, it's reflective of an ownership that uh, wouldn't make the prudent investment in an otherwise strong uh, property. Yeah. You're listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast. We understand the world of commercial real estate can be daunting, but we want to make it as simple as possible for you. Get the free 56-point checklist for evaluating investment properties that Grisada Partners uses every day at grisadapartners.com slash guides. One thing I find as we're uh, disciplined in our investing is that we iterate so when, a, when we find a building and we model it, uh, sometimes it doesn't reach our return threshold of a 15% IRR within five to seven year hold. Uh, and that used to really discourage me. We'd model it and it'd be a 10 or a 12. And it, I would know this building's a good fit, but we're just not quite there. And what I've learned uh, these last couple of years is you have to iterate and iterate and iterate. And by that, I mean, if there was an easy path, someone else would have already done it. That means... Uh, our market assumptions need to be dead on. Uh, our TI budget needs to be well dialed in. Our expenses need to be understood. Our property tax, our mellow ruse, uh, e- those little pieces all need to be factored in uh, before we make a decision. Ultimately, you can fluctuate on price. Uh, you can fluctuate on where you think uh, rents might be. You can fluctuate on the amount of TI tenant improvements you're willing to do to accomplish those rents. Um, but the expert zone, as we often call it, comes from iterate, you, you build an instinct for investing, but then you have to iterate and iterate and iterate. And with each yeah. building we do, we get a little bit better and a little bit tighter and a little, we get better, which is great. And that iteration also involves iteration with the seller. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, it's the long game, it's not the slow game. I mean, I'm sorry. It's the long game, it's not the short game. We, we don't expect that we're going to put an offer in and all of a sudden everything falls together and works perfectly. Yeah. Instead, it's that process of seeing another buyer fall out, having some challenges, and being there and ready to execute at the underwriting that we feel comfortable with. Yeah. That's often an 18-month process. The, from the time we first hear about a building to closing escrows tends to be about 18 months. Mm-hmm. There's an offer... There's a response, we go away, we might think about it, it might be a fit, but we work towards it, but it, it takes 12 to 18 months. Yeah. One thing I, I thought about too is that part of the reason a building should be exciting when we drive up to it is because we're gonna have to put a lot of work into this thing. And uh, for me, when I wake up in the morning, I wanna wake up in the morning excited about a building's future. I wanna wake up thinking about 
the cool ways we're adding value and the, the great traction we're getting with tenants and you know, the positive impact we're having. I, I feel like life's too short to work on bad buildings and yeah. life's too short to work on buildings that don't motivate you in some way. Uh, and, and ultimately, I think that'll impact your success. If you're working on C-class buildings that might get to C-plus, uh, that's, that's not good enough. Or yeah. at least I, I don't really enjoy working in that space. Well, and I think that re resonates on our, um, the why for why we do what we do. We create environments that transform people's lives. Yeah. And we need to feel like we drive up to a property and we're doing something fun and exciting and coincidentally doing that fun and exciting work also means that your property is more desirable and it makes yeah. it more leasable um, but life is short like you said and uh, we we want to see the impact of the work we're doing and feel good about it and not just uh, sit back with a stagnant portfolio of real estate yeah well i drove up to this building today and we'll add a, a uh, pans shot of it here in this video, uh, but when we started, it was a brown clay dismal building painted last in the 1990s. As you look now, uh, we we have a, a pretty radical design. There's not a another building that looks like this in Sacramento, but this had sort of a pyramid design, an inverted pyramid design to the building. And one challenge we had is it had really small windows that you know dated back to about 1980. We didn't want to highlight that feature. We wanted to draw the eye up to the top of the building. We wanted to make an older building look more modern. So to do that, we worked with a designer who had us, uh, who modeled espresso paint on the first floor, which sort of blended in with the windows, uh, but then gray columns that moved to a second floor and finally white for this large top cap. And then there's a, a, a you know, sort of a light blue accent piece um, it, 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 a trim piece. And all that creates a modern, interesting building that draws the eye up. And th there's not another building in the Sacramento market that, that looks like this. So yeah. um, we're about to start the lobbies. Uh, you'll see a lot of this wood trim go away that you're seeing now. Um, we're going to be adding channel lettering and new signage. And um, we've got uh, one, one tenant that's moving and a, a, a tenant that's looking at the whole second floor of this building. But this is a yeah. building that I'm excited about. And I wake up in the morning thinking like, this is going to be so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it also underscores the, the Fairfield building that you mentioned earlier underscores uh, how many buildings we have to look through to get to that right one. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of on market, off market buildings that we have to pour through to find that one that we really feel excited about. Yeah. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that filtering process. Well, you mentioned earlier A buildings versus B buildings versus C buildings. As investors, our job is to own the highest quality portfolio we can, but also the highest quality portfolio that meets our investment thresholds. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we strive to be great investors. Um, and, and buying trophy buildings is wonderful, but returns tend to be very low. So. We found success in that, uh, at least to date so far, in the uh, you know B to A minus space, uh, where buildings can be reimagined, uh, re-envisioned. Often these buildings were built in the 1980s, um, and we can bring them to today's standard and add fresh life to them. And, and often they're in great great locations. But to your earlier question, I was in Fairfield yesterday, and 
to be candid, you know, uh, the building was advertised as being 45 miles from Sacramento and 45 miles from San Francisco as if, great, it's right in the middle of things. But what I found when I was there was I felt like it was in the middle of nowhere, exactly in the middle of nowhere. And uh, Fairfield seems, seems like a fine town. I, that's great. But, um, but I didn't see the, the, uh, the, the movement and the excitement <laughs> and the yeah. momentum yeah. that made me think we can take this B building and make it, move it into the A's. Yeah. Um, so, and the market isn't deep enough. You know, we have to be operating markets where there's enough depth to be able to see that movement from one one level to the next. Things either need to be a hell yes or a no, and that was not even a yes, let alone a hell yes. <laughs> that was a all right. <laughs> well, one thing I continue to learn about this business and about investment discipline is that we're in the uh, we're in the people business. We we exist because of people. We exist to serve people, and our business works with people. Mm-hmm. So the investment discipline uh, is is definitely about making great building decisions. But it's also about making great people decisions, both in our, our team, um, but also, as we'll be seeing in an in a earlier podcast, working with great brokers, great third parties, great loan people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are people that uh, add, wind, add wind to our sales, so to speak. They're, they're there to help the process uh, go, go faster. And um, some of the brokers we've worked with have really become partners of ours. They, they're, when they're out in the markets, they're shortening our 18-month window because they're pre-thinking buildings. They're bringing existing relationships to, 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 our, our, you know, to our relationship, and that, that's wonderful. So later today, we'll be looking at a very large building downtown. We'll be looking at um, a building out in, the, out in Atomas. But you know, it's, it's, it's great to see that investment discipline timeline shorten as we bring great partners to the table uh, who want to be with us for the long run. Yeah. You know, something else I was thinking about is the the balance between that passion or uh, intuition that it's a right deal and letting the numbers flesh themselves out too. And you touched upon it a little bit with the iteration, but there definitely is also a balance and we found it on some properties where it feels like the right property, it feels like the right circumstances and situations where we can bring to bear our expertise on it, but we just can't get the numbers to work. They they just can't get to that threshold. And I think it it takes an equal amount of discipline to be able to know that we're passionate about a project. We think that it has the right fundamentals or the right problems that we can solve. Yeah. But we just can't get the seller to economics where where it makes sense, and to be able to have that walk-away discipline as well. Um, I think that's benefited us along the way as well. Well, I think that's a key part of our partnership, and mm-hmm. we're able to uh, encourage investment discipline amongst the two of us. Yeah, I know there's been times when I've been excited about a building, and you've pushed back, and I know yeah. there's been times you've been excited about a building, and I've pushed back, and, yeah. and in the end, that, that's been for the best. Absolutely. And... I think having that sounding board is a really critical part of the investment process. A lot of investors operate in their own silo, and, but being able to have those, whether it be trusted advisors, partners, 
investment committee, whatever the case may be, having some sounding board to be able to help clear off that, the, the ego or the passion part of it so we can make good sound investment decisions too. I've also learned to counter that, that as leaders, there are times uh, when it makes sense to go out on a limb. And in fact, that's a key part of what we're here to do is know which buildings to fight for, which buildings to push just a little bit more to get, get a concession or to solve a problem. Uh, and frankly, most of the buildings we buy end up go, getting above that, that noise because one of us believes this is a building worth fighting for. And mm -hmm. we push in and we push in and we push in and, and we get there. And um, tr truly great buildings that meet our strategy um, are, are, are worth doing. And I love coming to work to work on buildings that are worth fighting for. That, that gets me going in the morning. So mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a natural tension and uh, it's, it's helped us a lot. So, yeah. Thank you for listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast, where we demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, visit crusadapartners.com, where you'll find more information, investors tools, case studies, and more. This podcast is hosted by Joe Miratori and Ryan Suela. It's produced, edited, and mixed by Melodic, with intro music by Ian Post. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.